Pastor Jim did a wonderful job of kind of giving you the cliff notes on the trip to Ukraine, and I hope you will uh, get with one of those four guys because they have a lot more stories to tell than he shared. But a cool thing in the first service, you know, we have people watching our services all around the world, and we're thrilled about that. In a minute, I'm going to give you an opportunity to uh, show your appreciation for those people that are watching from their living rooms. But two people here in our, our church family have been critical in this whole Ukraine ministry as we've brought the families here and got them settled and so forth. That's Sasha and Glib Gluhovsky. And Glib, if you don't know it, he, it's actually Colonel Glib Gluhovsky, and he is currently deployed in uh, Kuwait, and he was online watching our services at 9.30. And so Glib heard the whole report about Kuwait. Well, all those uh, bags that Pastor Jim talked about taking, Glib was, Glib was really critical in getting a lot of that stuff together, and so we're so appreciative. But we really do. We have people watching, not just around the country, but all around the world. So would you just tell them you appreciate them joining our service this morning, as well as the people in the K-Hall. Well, it's always a pleasure and a privilege to uh, get to open God's Word with you. And this morning, we're continuing the series that Pastor Chad started just two weeks ago as we're walking through the book of 1 Samuel. And this morning, we're all going to get an ear, a hearing test. We're going to check how well our hearing is working and how, how well we're listening. And what we're really talking about is the urgency for us not just to hear what's going on around us, but to listen up and hear the voice of God. My dad uh, passed away just about a year ago. Uh, not quite a year, but, but he was 97 years old. Great guy, great dad. Uh, always present, always engaged, always had my best interest at, at, at heart and in mind. Uh, and, you know, for 97 years, for the most part, he's a pretty healthy guy. He, you know, he had a few problems the last several years, but that's to be expected. But he had one... I would say significant physical problem that really affected the last third or more of his life. He couldn't hear. He had virtually lost all of his hearing. Now, ear protection really wasn't a thing when my dad was serving in the Navy on gunships in the South Pacific. So I'm sure that contributed. Then he got out of the service and he went to work at places that also were not very ear friendly. He worked at Standard Oil Refinery over in Sugar Creek, Missouri for a long, long time. And then he worked at, at the power plant for Independence Power and Light. And, and both of those places were just horrible. And you know, ear protection just wasn't a thing. He just didn't, people didn't pay attention to that. I can remember as a kid going to Independence Power and Light with him. Man, he walked in the door and the, the noise was just overwhelming. You know, it's this high-pitched, shrill just constant noise of the, of the generators making the electricity and so forth. And he worked in that day in and day out for years and years and years. And that constant noise, unfortunately, took away his ability to hear. Now, it was an interesting thing. My mom passed away about 20 years ago. And what we learned right after she passed away was she had been serving as his ears in a lot of ways. You know, she was able to mask a lot of his hearing problem because she would hear for him. But as soon as she was gone, his inability to hear 
became a really frustrating thing for him. Frustrating thing for, for me too, you know, just trying to be able to communicate and trying to tell him that the TV doesn't, the volume on the TV doesn't have to be at like 80. It can be down, but he was just doing his best to hear. His inability to hear would impact every part of his life, and he had to accept that, and he had to learn to live with that reality. Listen, protecting your physical hearing is an important thing. And if you don't take care of your ears, then you will probably suffer the same fate that my dad did. But this morning, we're really not talking about that. We're not talking about physical hearing. We're talking about spiritual hearing. We're talking about each of us asking critical questions like, who am I listening to? Who is the loudest voice in my life when it comes to how I live my life, when it comes to the decision and the choices that I make? Whose voice is really speaking into those decisions? We're going to work through, we're going to actually look at verses 11 through 35 of 1 Samuel chapter 2. That is a really long passage. If, uh, if I read that whole thing, I wouldn't have time to tell you anything else. So we're going to read parts of it, but here's what I want to challenge you to do. When you get home this afternoon, before you take that nap, read the whole thing. Get the full context of what that passage says from 11 to 35, and I think it will be valuable to you. So we're going to begin by reading verses 11 through 17. If you are able... I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of reading God's word, and we will read these verses together. Beginning in verse 11, 1 Samuel chapter 2. Then Elkanah went to the house of Ramah, but the child, that would be Samuel, ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. Then he would thrust it into the pan or the kettle, the cauldron or the pot, and the priest would take for himself all that the flesh hook brought up. So they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who sacrificed, give meat for roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat from you, but raw. And if the man said to him, they should really burn the fat first, then you may take as much as your heart desires, he would answer him, no, but you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Therefore, the sin of the young men was great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word today, there is nothing we desire more than to hear from you, to hear your voice, to hear the message that you would seek to speak to us. Lord, help us to see the value and the urgency of seeking your voice day in and day out as we live for you. Father, we just pray that you would give us great wisdom through the wisdom of your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, as we have gotten this study of 1 Samuel started, Pastor Chad has reminded us already several, several times of the value and the truth as we have seen it in the scriptures of James 4, 6. James 4, 6 says God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. 
Well, this morning, we're going to see that played out in the lives of four specific individuals. We're going to see some good news, and we're going to see some bad news. We've already been introduced to Eli and to his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, who served as priests in Shiloh. We've seen that uh, Eli's already kind of had some concerning behaviors as he's gone about his work. But as we turn the page to the latter half of the second chapter, it quickly becomes clear that the biggest problems that Eli had to deal with were the problems that went along with these two boys. So let's talk first about the sins of the sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Now, I just got to say up front, if you have sons and you name them Hophni and Phinehas, are you not kind of asking for problems right off the bat? I mean, what do you think these kids had to go through in school? This had to be a tough journey, right? Well, Hophni and, and, and Phineas certainly fit that description. These were two bad, bad boys. Depending on what Bible translation you're looking at this morning, they're described as corrupt. They're described in some translations as scoundrels or as wicked. The New King James that I just read from says they did not know the Lord. And the King James Version takes it even further, calling them the sons of Belial, the sons of Satan. 1 Corinthians 1, or 1 Corinthians 6, 15 asks, what harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Well, the answer is nothing. And these two boys had no inclination, no motivation, no intention of listening or hearing the voice of God. By bloodline, they were meant to be priests. They were meant to be spiritual leaders in the church, people that, that, that followers could look up to, but they didn't fit that calling in any way, in any shape, or in any form. Their only desire, as we read the passage this morning, was to serve themselves, <clears throat> and they used their position and their authority not as servants, but to get rich and to enjoy the luxuries of the world, all at the expense of the very people that they were meant to serve. God could have been literally screaming in their ear with a megaphone, but they wouldn't have heard any of it because they were completely enthralled with the noise of the world. As priests, their primary calling was to conduct the sacrificial ceremony. As people brought animals to sacrifice as an atonement for their own sins. The Levitical process, which is spelled out in scripture, included a conservative provision to, be, to provide and sustain the priest who was conducting the ceremony. At designated times, during the ceremony, specific parts of the animal, the breast and the thigh, were to be offered to the priest for his own consumption. But a conservative provision was of no interest or value for these wicked sons. They believed they deserved more. And so they tossed aside God's plan and they began to establish their own set of rules. Their own set of principles that they would force others to live by. Rules that took the focus away from God and placed it squarely on their own selfish desires. They would send a servant 
with a large flesh hook, a big three-barbed hook. Um, if you're a fisherman, think of a treble hook times 10 or 15. We're talking a big hook. They would put that into the meat. That hook was meant to snag and grab not just a little bit, but large portions, large chunks of the flesh of the animal being sacrificed. And whatever the hook brought up, Hophni and Phinehas were glad to take and use for their own enjoyment. They thought they deserved it. Now, can I just tell you right now, whatever you're going through, whatever your circumstance or your situation is, if the words, I don't deserve this, come out of your mouth, you're probably going down a pretty hard pathway. We don't deserve any of what we get. And yet God provides for us all the same. These guys strong-armed the people of God. They stole directly from God. And they actually introduced sin into the very process that was meant to atone for the sins of the people. Verse 17 says that the sin of the young men was great before the Lord. They, uh, uh, before the Lord for men abhorred the offering to the Lord. You'll probably remember in Matthew 21, Jesus cleaned house in the temple, saying, my house should be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Well, these boys have done that and more. Hophni and Phinehas have made the sacrificial process their own five-star buffet. They have turned what was meant to be a sacrifice to God into a profit center for their own good. And as you can imagine, that never sets well with the Lord. It's one thing to personally turn your back on God. But when your actions serve to turn others away from him, that's just dangerous ground to be walking on. Jesus warned about causing believers to stumble in Luke 17.2, uh, 17, saying it would be better to be thrown into the sea with a millstone around your neck than to cause another believer to stumble. But that's not all these boys were up to. If that wasn't bad enough, verse 22 goes on to say that all the people were talking about Eli's sons because they were sleeping with women who served at the entrance of the tent of meeting. These two sons were the poster child, children for everything that God opposes and everything that God despises. They were prideful. They were reckless and sinful and they lived without any fear or any regard for the God that they were supposed to be serving. They'd grown up with a father that had served as a priest. They had heard the ways of God from being around the temple. They'd been around God-fearing people, and yet they refused to hear anything other than their own selfish voices and desires and worldly needs. Why couldn't they hear God's voice? Well, that's an easy one to answer. They weren't listening for it. In fact, they didn't want to hear it. They lived as if there was no God at all. And perhaps they'd even convinced themselves that he didn't exist. But God is very real. And soon that painful lesson, that painful reality would become their reality. The sins of Eli's sons were great in the sight of God. And as you would expect... Two godless boys, their godless behavior would soon become a problem for their father as well. Some of you that have had wayward children, you know that nothing weighs heavier than dealing with a child 
that is on the wrong path. So next, let's talk about the faults of their father. While Hophni and Phinehas had completely turned their back on God, I think Eli's problem was a lot more subtle than that. I think, I believe he was a victim of, of a common ailment that can happen in the life of any believer. We're all susceptible to drifting, to drifting away from God. He drifted away from having a personal reliance on the voice of God. Where the boys were in your face, Eli's faults were subtle. Drift is gradual, but drift is still so dangerous because over time, as we drift, we lose touch. We lose our ability and our inclination to even hear the voice of God. God's voice that was once so crisp and clean in our ears begins to become faint. And as it does, as the volume of God's voice begins to lower, guess what happens? The voices from other sources begin to get louder and begin to have more influence in our lives. And we make compromises, compromises that lead to additional problems. For whatever reason, Eli lost his motivation to stay closely tethered to God, and he began to rely on the judgment and the discernment of others rather than being guided by the wisdom of God. You'll remember just a couple weeks ago, back in chapter one, <clears throat> Hannah was pouring out her heart to God in prayer. She was literally crying out that God would hear her cries and would, would comfort her. And somehow, amidst all of that emotion, Eli thought she was drunk. That was his answer to what was going on with her. Now, I've been serving here at LBC for nearly 22 years. It'll be 22 years in December. I will be the first to admit I have said some pretty dumb things. I have done some pretty dumb things. I'll also tell you, I have seen some pretty wild behaviors from people just like some of you. And some pretty weird stuff. Oh, I got some stories. But I don't think, I hope, I pray that I would never accuse somebody of being intoxicated unless I was absolutely certain that they were. But Eli was relying on his own understanding. He was relying on his own eyes to tell him what he saw and what he needed to say. He was listening to the wrong voices. While his sons were absolute monsters, and it seems that everybody knew it, Eli didn't hear or act on their horrible behavior because he was listening to God. No, he got his information elsewhere. Verses 22 through 23 tell us that his source for hearing about these evil sons it came through the grapevine, through gossip, through the complaints of the people. Maybe he saw it on Facebook, I don't know. But he had drifted away from God gradually and before he knew it, he had floated into dangerous waters and God was nowhere in sight. Nowhere to help him, nowhere to lead him. But here's the thing, even though Eli, even though Hophni and Phinehas had completely lost track of God. Scripture says God didn't lose track of them. And he won't lose track of you either. Look at verses 27 through 30. 
says, then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, thus says the Lord, did I not clearly reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? Did I not choose him out of all of the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer upon my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod before me? And did I not give to the house of your father all the offerings of the children of Israel made by fire? Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering which I have commanded in my dwelling place and honor your sons more than me to make yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people? Therefore, the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever, but now the Lord says, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. What did God want Eli to understand? It's right there at the end of verse 30. It's the same timeless truth that we've already seen several times as we've gone through the pages of this book. God will oppose the proud, but he will give grace to the humble. We don't know what kind of father Eli had been, we don't know what or how much he tried to teach these boys. We don't know whether he was there when they needed him the most in, the, in their lives. But God knew. And God held Eli responsible for their misguided actions and for his own as well. Eli's dependence on God got lost in the shuffle of life until he could no longer hear God's voice at all. Perhaps that's why God sent a messenger to deliver this, this awful message to him, this message of condemnation. What we do know is that in verses 31 through 34, they tell us that their conduct would cost them everything. It was about to, them, to cost them their position. It was going to cost them their authority. And it was even going to cost them their lives as God would serve judgment on the three of them. In the coming weeks, we'll see how all of that plays out, how all of that prophecy becomes reality, emphasizing the message of Galatians 6, 7 that says God cannot be mocked. A man will reap what he sows. You see, God deals with deaf ears, and he deals with deaf ears harshly. And he's about to deal harshly with Eli and with his sons. Now look down a little further to verses 35 and 36. Where one falls, God raises up another. You know, sometimes I think we, we see or hear of someone falling and we think, my gosh, that had, to, that had to be devastating to God. It's not devastating to God because God always has a plan. He's always ready to, to move on to the, the next option and, and put something better in the place of something that maybe didn't work. He'll fill the absence that Eli and his family have have left absent or have left vacant by someone who is going to be faithful, by someone who is going to listen up. Verse 35 says, then I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who, will sh who shall serve, uh, who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. I will build him a sure house and he shall walk before my appointed, anointed forever. God has a plan, a plan to fill the void left by Eli and his family with someone that will be true to him in mind and in heart. 
And as we'll see, he will use men like Samuel to be his mouthpiece until that next person is raised up. So let's talk about the sanctity of Samuel. It's really the, the counter opposite of what we saw in Eli's family. Surely Samuel was aware of how Eli's family was failing the Lord. You know there must have been a lot of chaos and confusion, even anger swirling around the temple. But Samuel remained humble. Through it all, Samuel remained focused. Samuel remained fully attentive to hearing the voice of the Lord and fully available to do whatever God might ask him to do. Verses 11 and 18 say, that the child ministered to the Lord. Verse 18 tells us that he wore a linen ephod. In the original language, the word minister meant that his study habits and his closeness to God had become such that they were fully ingrained in the life that he lived. Fully ingrained in how he lived, in what he did and what he chose not to do. The wearing of the linen ephod and the robes that his mother was bringing to him or was having brought to him annually, they were an indication. Just to wear those was a symbol of, of sanctity and a symbol that, that, that meant he was being recognized. His spiritual maturity was being accepted even though his age was still very young. As great as the sins of Eli's family were, equally great was the devotion the discipline that Samuel showed toward the Lord. Even Eli recognized that there was something really, really special about this young man. He had been a precious gift that his family was willing to give for the service of God. And the scripture says that Eli spoke a blessing on Samuel's family, and soon their house was full of children. While Eli's family caused people to turn away from God. Verse 26 tells us that Samuel, as he grew in, sta uh, in stature and in good favor, he was drawing people back to God. He was serving to, to, to help that healing process that needed to take place because of the, the nasty things that had been done. Samuel's focus gives us a picture not just of somebody that's very special, although obviously he was, but I believe this is a picture of the relationship that God desires to have with each and every one of us. A relationship where we're constantly working, constantly focused on just being closer to God, on just intently listening to anything and everything that he might say to us. Listen, we're called to live listening up. There's so much distracting around us, but the answers to life's problems and the answer to a better life is when we turn and we listen up. So how do we do that? How do you become an upward listener? How do you become focused like Samuel to hear every word that God might speak your way? How do we make listening up our greatest desire in our very lifestyle. You know, hearing is a God-given sense. We're given five senses. Hearing is one of those. Some of us hear a little better than others, but God has given us that. But listening is a skill. Active listening is something 
that we have to learn, we have to acquire, we have to polish, we have to get better at. And it's no different when what we're listening to for and to is the voice of God. So let's talk about lessons for listening. Lessons for listening to truly hear the word of God. It begins with knowing God. You have to know God to truly be able to hear his voice. Eli's sons didn't know him, and they had no interest in listening to his voice. Knowing God means accepting who he is. But maybe even more important than that, knowing God means accepting who you are. I can sum it up for you. He's God. You're not. You need him way more than he needs you. We've talked so much about God opposing the proud, about God giving grace to the humble. Well, let me tell you, humility is exactly what's required for you to come to a point of knowing God, for you to come to a point of having a personal relationship with him that opens the lines of communications so you can do so much better than listening to the best advice you can find here on earth. You can hear from the God who created it all. But it takes humility. It takes a willingness to bow before him and to say, God, forgive me. Accept me for who I am. Take away the things that I've done. I want to follow you. And the great news is, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what you're ashamed of, there's nothing so big that our God won't forgive it. And when he does, scripture says it's taken as far as the east is from the west. It's gone. Never to return. Never to be seen by God again. And then we begin this relationship. We begin this conversation that is meant not just to improve our lives, but to guide us and direct us and give us wisdom and help us in every way we could possibly need. If you don't know God this morning, in just a few minutes, I'm going to give you an opportunity to give your heart to him. And I pray that even now, he's tugging on your heart and he's speaking to you about that decision. God speaks when we know him. Second, God wants to be understood. God wants to be understood. It's, it's not a mystical thing. You know, I visit with people sometimes and, and they're, they're so concerned that they've missed God's message in their life. It's like they're, they're ruined because I think I missed it. God won't let you miss it. He wants you to understand it. I think sometimes we've seen too many of those national, national treasure movies. You know, you don't have to be Ben Gates. You don't have to be able to piece together all the clues. You don't have to be able to, to make sure you understand where everything is leading because God wants you to understand. There's no puzzles that's not who God is. A God who loves you wants to be understood by you. Throughout scripture, when God speaks, many times people hear an audible voice. I've never heard an audible voice. I'm not gonna ask you if you have, but I never have. I think it'd be pretty much the same as Pastor Bud's radio voice. I mean, he's got, he's got the radio voice. It's got, God's voice got to be something like that. But I've never heard that. But I can tell you this. Even though I've never heard God's audible voice, God has spoken to me a lot of times because God speaks in a lot of different ways. 
You want to know how clearly God speaks? Go back to Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, God's calling out to Abram. He says, now the Lord said to Abram, get out of this country. Can you misunderstand that? That seems pretty clear to me. Pretty direct. Nothing I got to really piece together there. When Jesus called his disciples, he didn't use any code words. He didn't use any theological riddles. What did he say? He said, come and follow me. Can it get any simpler than that? In John 27, Jesus told his followers, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And Jeremiah 29 says, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. God wants to know you. If he knows you, he'll talk to you. If he wants to talk to you, you will understand. But thirdly, God speaks in a lot of different ways. Scripture contains many examples of God audibly speaking to people, but that's not the only way he does that. He also speaks through his spirit. He speaks through the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples the Holy Spirit would come and teach and guide and give wisdom to his followers. If you know God, I'll tell you this morning, you can count on his spirit to speak to you and to walk beside you and to never leave you alone. You know, a lot of times when we're, I've got people out on mission teams and, and we're not always in the friendliest places around the world. Sometimes it's, it's kind of rough. But I always tell people, look, trust the Spirit. If you feel like you're walking somewhere that you shouldn't go or you're about to do something that you shouldn't do, you're probably right because it's probably the Spirit that's giving you that insight. God speaks through his Spirit and we can understand and we can, we can benefit from it. Secondly, God speaks through his Word. God speaks through his Word. Psalm 119 says, his Word is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. We learn who God is. We learn how great God's love is. We learn what God's plans are through Scripture. It provides wisdom. It provides direction. It provides solid truth. It's infallible. It's without any mixture of error. And God's Word will cover every situation, every circumstance that you could possibly face in life because all the answers are right there in His Word. If you know God, and if you commit to pouring yourself into his word, I promise you, you'll hear his voice loudly and clearly. He speaks through his word. Thirdly, he speaks through people. He th speaks through other people. There's great wisdom and insight in seeking God's wisdom through other more mature believers. You need spiritually mature people in your life that you can rely on, that will pray for you, that will pray with you, and that will help you see the blind spots that we all have as far as what you're doing, as far as how you're doing it, maybe as far as what you need to do. Man, as I look around this room, there's people in this room that God has spoke to me through them. And you need those kind of people too. God often speaks to his people through his people. If you know God, he wants to have a conversation with you. He wants to speak to you. And if you'll commit to be still and to listen for his spirit through his word and from his people, 
he will speak clearly to you. Samuel listened. Scripture says Samuel ministered to the Lord and God is gonna lift him up and do incredible things through him. Eli drifted. Over time, he lost track of God and he lost track of his sons and ultimately, it will cost him and his family everything. But really, the most important question this morning is what about you? What about you? Who are you listening to? Be honest with yourself this morning. Who is speaking the most loudly into your life as you make choices, decisions, critical moves? Are you seeking and listening to the word of God? Or are you getting your your wisdom from some other source? Are you living determined to listen up, to hear the voice of God daily, maybe multiple times through the day? Or has the voice of the Lord gotten lost amidst all the noise, all the chaos, maybe even all the news of this world? Psalm 4610 is one of my favorite verses of scripture. It says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. How about this week? You start and finish every day by finding a quiet place. Place where there's no radio. Place where there's no TV place where there's no dogs, no kids, no cats, a place that's truly quiet, a place where you can totally focus on God. And then you just meditate on the truth of Jeremiah 29, 13. If you seek me, you will find me. If you search for me with all your heart. And then just sit there in that quiet room and see what God might say to you. Oh, he'll change your life. He'll change your direction. He'll change your priorities. He's just looking for solid people who are willing to listen up. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you desire more than anything else to speak to us, to share your love and your wisdom, your power and your grace with us if we will just open our ears and listen up. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you, that has maybe been around church, maybe been around church people much of their life, and yet they've never taken that step of surrender to give their heart and their life to you, I pray that you're speaking to them right now. I pray that your Holy Spirit is tugging at their heart and that today might be the day of salvation. But Lord, I know we have many in this room as well, including myself, that just need to listen more and more often. We just need to be attentive to what you might say to us. Lord, help us. Help us to seek you with all our heart and to be hungry to hear every word that you might speak to us. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.